Welcome to The Art of Place, a podcast with a penchant for examining art within the time and place of its inception, whether that be a backyard, a bordello, a cathedral, or a cave. Let me introduce you to our hosts. My mom, Dr. Kelly Dollar, a history nerd and a Montessorian. And my mom, Janie Karp, an art therapist and Montessorian. Together they fuse the left brain and the right brain. And And now, Art of Place. We want to invite all our listeners to follow along with us on our Instagram account, Art of Place Podcast. Here you can find links related to our show, as well as images of both the artist and the art we discuss. Janie, I want to ask you a question. Okay. What do you think makes someone really sexy? Brains. (laughs) Okay, just brains? Mm, Mostly. Okay. So, I mean, I hear you because with my husband and I, it was really, it was a meeting of the moms. Mm -hmm. Um, And did I tell you, he and I both had the same um, book on our bedside table. No. Yeah, it was McCullough's 1776. It was destined. It was destined. Wow. So, I want to be really honest here. So, just brains for you. Well, that's a big part of it. Okay. You know, there's other things, but. That, that's a huge part. So, Albrecht Durer mm-hmm. is one of the hottest men in history yeah. for me. <laughs> He's so hot. I remember feeling really flushed in Art History 101 with his self-portrait. <laughs> <laughs> He's so my type. <laughs> Let's talk about it. So, he's intellectual. Mm-hmm. He's hairy. <laughs> Determined. Okay. Accomplished. And hardworking. And he curls his hair. <laughs> he curled his hair. Did you know that he also, he grew a beard in a time that it actually it wasn't very popular to have a beard. Mm-hmm. But he grew a beard and he had all that long, beautiful. So he had his own sense of style. Oh, definitely. He definitely did. <laughs> the artist that we're going to talk about today, obviously, is, is Albert Stewart. And... To me, he's one of the most accomplished artists of the Renaissance. Now, some mm-hmm. may argue that, you know, that's not what they think or, you know, historically or, you know, intellectually, that's not what is true. But to me, he had so many firsts. Um, he was, he had so many significant firsts. And he was the first great artist to publish his work in a woodcut. Mm-hmm. He was the first artist that formally signed and dated his work consistently. He was the first to mass produce his work in printing. He was the first to paint watercolor landscapes. He was the first to portray himself in a nude, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> And and he was arguably the first artist um, historically documented that he intentionally um, left letters and notations on his artwork for posterity. That is so interesting. Mm. Um, Durer is the most venerated German artist of the Northern Renaissance. Mm -hmm. His work has been commercialized plagiarized, and even appropriated by Nazi propaganda. Hmm. Durer as Fuhrer was a common theme among the Nazi party as Durer symbolized the greatness of the German people. This, of course, was done long after his death. Right. And I want to encourage our listeners, if you've never looked at how the Germans appropriated Durer's art, obviously without his permission, you know, 500 (laughs) some years later, uh, it's it's very odd, but Hitler very much saw Durer as like the premier or the the epitome of what it meant to be German. Obviously, again, without Durer's permission, but I digress. Durer lived uh, in the perfect geographical place and time at the turn of the century in Nuremberg, Germany. The Renaissance, um, it's going to take some time, both physically and psychologically, to travel over the Alps from Italy, over the Alps, into Germany, into Belgium, from its birthplace to places like Bavaria and Belgium. 
And it wasn't until the late 1400s uh, that it really is going to going to hit Northern Europe. And this time period is known as the Golden Age for Nuremberg. Nuremberg is a rather old city. And what I think we need to remember as um, students of history is that what we think of Germany today was not the Germany of Durer's time. It was principalities and it wasn't this united nation like it is now. And there were many, many kings and, and different provinces. And it wasn't Germany like we think of today. Um, but a Nuremberg itself very old city. Uh, it was first mentioned in the historical record around 1050. And by the time of Durer, it was the commercial hub for the Middle Ages. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I was, when I think of the Renaissance, of mm -hmm. course, think of the Italian Renaissance. And I never really gave much thought to the Northern Renaissance, even though we learned some of those artists too. So, I just want to mention kind of the difference between okay. the two. The northern part of Europe during those times was strongly attached to Christian teachings. And the church held a lot of power. Now, mm -hmm. this is the German Renaissance we're talking about, the northern Renaissance. Right. And humanists pictured their society as being more close to God or nature. Now, can I ask, like, sure. humanism is related more to what we consider the renaissance like italy yeah you know this idea that it's okay to take the focus away from the christian aspect of art and there's more focus reasons on to make art yeah besides so, okay yes yes so and the southern part of europe italy specifically mm -hmm. was had a very different outlook and their artists created paintings about the greek and roman mythologies about gods and goddesses and they were always searching for something new and better to create. The colors they used were very vibrant and they really made the artwork come alive. And unlike the northern work of art that dealt strongly with naturalism or nature, mm -hmm. in which the art and the color and the detail and everything was super realistic and was always checked, the southern paintings were a little bit more mysterious and mystical they could be creative and use maybe some color that wasn't quite 100% realistic. So a little more ethereal. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, yes. And yeah, a little more experimental, if you will. Mm. So the Southern Renaissance began during the 14th century and the Northern Renaissance believed to have started in the 16th century. Mm -hmm. So that's one difference. And artwork from the North was based on humanism and landscapes. And artwork from the South were more about the classical Greek and Greek and the Roman mythologies. Okay. So, and there's more, but that's just kind of a little overview summary. No, it's good for to know. I think a lot of people don't realize there were two Renaissance, right? Two Renaissance periods. Yes. Uh, yes. So today, uh, Nuremberg is the second largest city in Germany after Munich, and geographically, it's located on the Pegnitz River. The town itself harkens back to the time of Durer, but this is what is so interesting to me. Nuremberg itself was um, intentionally bombed in World War II. Ooh. I mean, because, um, you know, the, the Axis powers um, very much saw it as like, okay, this is... Um, this is what Hitler sees as like the the heart of Germany. Mm -hmm. And so the bombings in Nuremberg were very much intentional. And most of Nuremberg was destroyed. Hmm. And what the city decided long after World War II was that they wanted to make the city harken back and look more like the architecture and the time of Adur. So hmm. although it, it looks historically as if it is the same place it there actually a lot of it has been rebuilt but it's still very beautiful mm -hmm. it's like going back in time mm -hmm. even though it was built you know in the late 40s early 50s um but they tried to again make it look authentic right so let me tell you a little bit about um Durer and his background mm -hmm. um he was born into a skilled trade family his father was a trained goldsmith. According to historical record, the goldsmiths of Nuremberg were not allowed to leave the city for fear of revealing secrets of the goldsmithing trade. Mm. 
Schuster was also fortunate enough to have lived in the center of industry, craft, and metalworks. Because of this, he had the opportunity to be trained on wood sculpting, mm. painting, metal engraving, brass founding, stone cutting, and even in the craft of the cobbler. So he could pretty much mm. do anything he wanted, I guess. That's truly Renaissance. Yeah, it really right, is the right. very definition. If that was not enough to set him up for success, Nuremberg was one of the few cities in Durer's time to have its own paper mill. Wow. So a lot of resources right there at his fingertips. Mm -hmm. uh, so sadly, Janie, for Durer's wife, um, he her name was Agnes, and it's, it's really quite unfortunate. She's not mentioned um, often in the historical record. And even Durer himself referred to her as, and this is his quote, unremarkable. Uh, she came with... Poor Agnes. A, <laughs> poor Agnes. She came with a dowry in um, 1494 that was some 200 florins. And in that time, that would have been a small fortune. The money that what that came with Agnes was enough money for Durer to buy not only a home, but also a large enough place for a studio. And today you can still visit that home. It's a, it's a museum today in Nuremberg. You can still go there. So he married for money. I think it was arranged. Ah, uh, well. You know, I don't, I mean, I think it was expected. How's that? Gotcha. I don't know that it was, you know, any, I don't, I'm not sure that either one of them wanted it. Mm -hmm. I think they both were like, this is what has to happen. And it was it, much more of a uh, monetary arrangement uh, yeah. than it was exactly. A and again, like you said, that idea of humanism and like the draw away from Christianity, that hadn't really made it over the Alps yet. Mm -hmm. So those ideas weren't there. And um, what we do know is that Durer was very quite possibly homosexual or at least bisexual mm -hmm. from the historical record. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's what we know. All right. Well, before we begin talking about the artwork, mm -hmm. we encourage you to follow along with us using the images found on our Instagram account, Art of Place Podcast. Jamie, the first piece of art I want to talk about is a self-portrait. Okay. And he, Drew was well known for inserting himself in various ways in many pieces of his art. But before we get to the self-portrait, I would like to talk about one of the things that I learned in my research was that Durer actually um, drew one of the earliest child's self-portraits that we possess in the history of art. That's amazing. Now, Janie, I know you and I both teach at the same Montessori school. Mm -hmm. And I would like for you to tell us a bit about the piece of art he drew possibly at 12 or maybe 13. Well, first thing is, wow. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. The skill is so obvious and uh, his ability to render a form mm -hmm. with um, accurate line and shape and use of value is just far beyond what I usually see mm -hmm. in uh, typical you know 13 12 year olds which would be about seventh grade mm -hmm. seventh or eighth grade from what we see and the other thing is that silver point and silver point is literally silver that you use to scratch away at a surface and it deposits a little bit of the silver behind. Wow. So there is no way to erase mm. or make a change. Wow. So the confidence that you have to have to work in silver point is amazing. So that speaks volumes, not only in what medium he used, but also in the obvious skill and confidence the, yes absolutely. and confidence yeah he was very confident wow so as an historian one of the things i would like to point out in this piece of art the one that he drew at either 12 or 13 is that he went back some years later and made a notation on the art itself and he was he was known for doing this quite often uh making these notations on art and the only reason that we do know that he created this piece of art when he did is because 
he went back much later and made a notation and that notation on the art says this i drew myself from a mirror in the year 1484 when i was still a child mm-hmm. so again we have this artist who knows i need to document what i'm doing for posterity some self-awareness that right. is pretty amazing right to to do that Mm-hmm. So now what I would like to look at is his self-portrait at the at the turn of the century in 1500. And this, this portrait, it's got a fun name. Mm-hmm. It's titled Self-Portrait at 28 years old wearing a coat with a fur collar. Nothing if not descriptive. Oh, <laughs> I like that, man. You know, yeah. let's just get right, get right to, to it. it. Get right to it. <laughs> That's right. There are many reasons that this piece of art is is important and stands out in the art world, but also in history. First, it's unlike any other previous art from this period because most artists in this time did what was called a three-quarters pose. Mm -hmm. And instead of him doing this three-quarters pose, it's face on. Mm-hmm. Much like iconography. Oh, yes. So there were many people that were actually very upset because they were like, oh, he's painting himself in the likeness of Christ. As a saint. Yes. yes. Absolutely. Yes. So in addition to that, so let's go with that controversy a bit more. Uh-huh. Not only is he doing the full face on, but in addition to that, if we look at the art itself, he's holding his hand much like in that of a, a blessing. Like mm-hmm. you would see um, in art from either the Orthodox Church or the Roman Catholic Church in this period. And that upset many uh, viewers of art, obviously. But not only that, but this is not the natural color of his hair. Really? No. In this image, he darkened his hair. Okay. Much like what they thought that Christ's hair would have looked like this. I see. Right. Wow. I know. So, as we Mm. mentioned before, um, let's talk a little about the technique in this piece of art. Um, We've mentioned, um, it was a a bit vain. (laughs) Well, it takes that confidence to a whole new level. Yeah. To paint himself as a Christ figure. It it made my my crush diminish a bit (laughs) as I researched. So, if if we zoom in and we look at this, you can see, look at those curls. Yes. But can you, the artistry and the skill and the ability to paint this way. Mm -hmm. And if we look at the small corners, even of his mustache. Mm Mm-hmm. That's he he really problem. liked a challenge, mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm. um, didn't. You say he did it, curled his hair. He did with wax. Yes, so that he, yeah, so that he could draw the curls. Yeah, because he enjoyed. Well, he was Paul Mitchell before Paul Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> of course, he was. Yeah. So if we look as well, again, I, re- I mentioned before that it was not popular to have a beard in this period, but mm-hmm. he grew a beard and many historians and and um, art critics alike believe that he did this so that he could demonstrate his technique with mm-hmm. painting and, and drawing um, facial hair mm-hmm. um, because we know that's very challenging, but I love the lips. Mm-hmm. Mm. Of course this, you do. <laughs> this is the picture that gave me the crush. Mm-hmm. This is the art history picture when I was in college. Now, let's talk a, a bit more about this specific piece, okay? Um, so, we, we talked about that three-quarter pose, mm-hmm. and then it was face-on, and it was much unlike his contemporaries. And according to a BBC special that I watched titled The Northern Renaissance, there was no mistaking his work. We were forced to recognize his accomplishments, to face the ultimate self-portrait art, face on, much like an icon. And then, are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. How convenient is this? His initials are also going to double as Anno Domina in the year of our Lord. So, his initials are A-D, which you will see many times in his Mm -hmm. artwork. And in addition to this, later this is going to be, people are going to plagiarize his monogram. 
Really? Yeah, yeah, there will actually be a court case later in his life where someone, I mean, it's it's a woodcut that is like spot on. Uh, the I mean, it's the same piece of art completely copied down to the monogram. And wow. they took it to court. And you know what the verdict was? What? It's okay to copy his art, but you could not keep the moniker. Really? Yeah. So it was copyrighted. He was the first artist that we know that did this. And it's really very beautiful. I encourage Mm -hmm. all of our listeners to take a close look at the way that he would um, create these monikers many times with the year or a date or a notation along with it. It's actually very beautiful. It is. It's very beautiful. Okay. So um, let's take a look now. Oh, do you have any more? Anything else? That you want to add about this? Well, wasn't that an oil painting? I, you know, I think I think it was, artist. and yeah. that's something that takes a lot of skill mm-hmm. too, mm-hmm. and um, many layers mm-hmm. involved, and it takes a long time for things to dry. So it's not something he just like whipped out. Wow! It took planning mm-hmm. and um, work over time to get that finished. The other thing that I read was, again, this is painted in 1500. It's the turn of the century. And there was a lot of paranoia because these people, Europe had just experienced, when I say just, but I mean, the Black Death, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we're living in a time of paranoia. This pandemic is not a joke. Mm -hmm. But Durer and, you know, many of his, I would say, you know, great aunts, you know, those people that maybe still were surviving, they had lived or had known people who had lived through the plague era. Mm-hmm. And so this portrait itself to be Christ-like and to be painted and dated at the turn of the century in 1500 was responsive um, not only to this turn of the century, but it's also seen as one of the most self-consumptive forms of modern day art. So a lot of people think that Durer really is the first modern day artist. Hmm. What do you think about that? That's interesting. I know it's not Georgia, right? <laughs> it's with definitely the, not the swirls and the curls. Definitely you know? not. And it's interesting to me that people would say this about Durer's work mm-hmm. instead of you know Michelangelo right. or Da Vinci or whatever. Right. So, but their work was very different. Very. And they were mm-hmm. depicting different things. Mm-hmm. So. And again, as a historian, he write or paints on this piece of art in Latin. There's an inscription and there's no mistaking the credit for his work in any of the art that, his do- that he does. But it reads, in 1500, Albrecht Drur of Nuremberg painted himself in apt and eternal colors when he was 28 years old. Again. No lacking in oh, no. self, self um, love. There, oh, no. <laughs> you know, we have this artist who's intentionally documenting both his work and history. Okay, so um, let's move on. Oh, oh before sorry. you move on, yeah. Um, in my research for him, I found that um, he has a feast day named after him in the Episcopal Church. Tell me more. the Lutheran Church. And um, I found that very interesting. And um, let's see if we can find the right piece of paper that tells me a little bit more about that. But his feast day is August 5th. Hmm. And he was, um, because his artwork allowed uh, images about the Bible to be uh, read if you will, mm-hmm. visually mm-hmm. in pictures and understood, um, he's commemorated um, in this way. One of the gratitude um, phrases for this is, we give thee thanks, O Lord, for the vision and skill of Albert Durer, whose artistic depictions help the peoples of their age understand the full suffering and glory of thine incarnate son. Mm. So he thought a lot about himself. But so did other people. Right. Right. <laughs> and um, he shares his feast day with a couple of other artists. Um, but I, I think that was a fascinating bit that mm-hmm. I found there. And he so. did. He did a paint quite a few biblical 
um, narratives mm-hmm. and did woodcuts of some of the biblical narratives. Mm-hmm. And to me, um, one of the most striking is obviously when we think of like the apocalypse and, you know, death on horseback. Mm-hmm. He really brought those to life. You have to remember, everyone did not read. They didn't all have that. Yeah. I mean, that capability or they didn't have the they didn't have the access mm-hmm. or the training. And so we mm-hmm. take that for granted. Right. You know, the ability to read. Um, so okay. let's just get into some fun stuff. All right. Let's okay. hear it. The next piece I want to discuss is a woodcut and it's titled the men's bathhouse circa 1496. And I learned a great deal about this work in an article written by um, Dr. Elizabeth Garner titled Sex in the Nuremberg Bathhouse. Oh, there you go. Mm, if that didn't draw you in, nothing well. I think she thinks like you do. No, mine is a guy. Why I meet this Dr. Garner? Uh, one of the most fascinating little tidbits that I learned in my research about uh, just the Nuremberg Bathhouse and, and, and bathhouses in, in general is this. That bathing money was a regular part of one's salary. And that the prices in the Nuremberg bathhouses, and they had roughly 14 or so bathhouses in this time, were government regulated. Hmm. So there, were, there was no price gouging. Uh, additionally, there were bathing attendants who were basically journeymen. They were apprentices. They spent a great deal of time learning how to be an attendant in these bathhouses. And it's a multi-step process. Okay. Brace yourself. Okay, I'm ready. All right. It, um, I need, I need, this is part of my salary, but here are the things that were included in a, a traditional bathing ritual. Okay. Brace what yourself. What were they? Whew, okay. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready too. So we're going to start, we're going to massage your feet. Okay. That, that's wonderful. That already got you, didn't I? <laughs> I'm there. Okay. <laughs> I had a great foot massage one time in Philadelphia, in Chinatown. It was great. <laughs> no, really, it was really just a foot massage. <laughs> I'm not sure I believe it. It was. It was. Okay. So there was there were there were a foot massage, and then we're gonna slap you with some fragrant fra- fragrant twigs. <laughs> it's funny to release those essential oils. That's right. right. Essential oils. But we're gonna just we're just gonna do some slight slapping. Okay then. With the fragrant twig. Okay. <laughs> um. Then some more rubbing. Now that was not specific. Okay. Gotcha. But another story for another time when my husband and I went on our honeymoon in Prague, we had a European massage. That's all I gotta say. Okay, that's then. it. That's all. So there was more rubbing. That gotcha. seems a little nondescript. There vague. was a little vague. Little Leave vague. It up to your imagination. I mean, just <laughs> mm, throwing it out. Okay, are you ready for the next one? Uh, yeah. Now I'm gonna slap you with a hot towel. <laughs> okay. So I'm gonna actually, it's not slapping. I'm sorry. The verbiage is swatting. Oh, there just you a go. Swat with a hot towel. Swat. Just mm. a gentle swat. But I am gonna, I am gonna slap you with a fragrant twig. Okay. <laughs> so there's some swatting. Then I'm gonna wash your hair. Okay. A little hair washing, and um, then we're gonna have some hair removal. Okay. And this is where Drew would be like, "Oh no, thank you. Mm-hmm. I would like to keep this beard. Gotcha. Thank you very gotcha. much." And then some combing. Okay. Okay. I mean, what's left after they remove it? I know, I don't right? know. What are they coming? <laughs> and then we're now going to massage you with some lavender oils. Very nice. Because there wasn't enough slapping and swatting <laughs> and rubbing. Okay. But now, okay. And a little bloodletting. I mean, is what, that optional? I hope. What is it? <laughs> what are the Middle Ages and the Renaissance without a little bloodletting? I know, right? In every life, a little, a little leech must fall. <laughs> and then finally, and, and because obviously this was such a lengthy process, a nap. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm tired just listening. I, I mean, what a day. <laughs> that sounds like fun. So did they like four days at work, one day at the bath? But he was expected. Two day weekend. I mean, how'd they do that? Can you imagine? <laughs> I'm sorry. Today is my bath. That's right. And so what we do know, obviously, is that the men's and the women's bathhouses were separate. Mm-hmm. And um, back to the art it's, itself is that it is in a woodcut. And um, now, I want to digress just a bit. This is not the only woodcut he did of a bathhouse. Mm-hmm. He did another piece of art. It was the women's bathhouse, but it was never published and never mm-hmm. printed. Okay. Now, this other one, this men's bathhouse, it was published. It was printed. And the media itself in Woodcut, it proved his 
just his boundless talent again and yes. again. So when you think of woodcut, friend, what do you think of? Well, it's very difficult mm -hmm. to do technically because wood has a grain mm. and a certain way you can cut it. And if you try to go different from that, it's very difficult. It's doable, right? But to get a fine controlled line and the change in value and all the textures de uh, depicted, that's amazing, amazing skill that he was showing. Again, if he was 13 and, you know, mm. by now he's an adult and has right. been practicing for years. Amazing skill. Amazing. It's more than skill. This piece of art is a lot of phallic images. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Last week, vaginas. This week, phallic art. There you go. Uh, in the center, we have Durer um, portrayed again in self-portraiture wearing a rather racy cod piece mm -hmm. and playing a flute let me look up, Whoa, uh, oh, you want to you want to <laughs> see the flute oh here it is oh let's get that bathhouse up girl so this is Durer, and we uh, know that because what do we what do we know that sets him apart uh, the beard of course right that beard and that curly hair mm, look at those abs girl oh my mm, okay so we we have door here playing the flute we also have some other phallic imagery what do you see friend well, let's see. I see a faucet mm -hmm. over to the side. Quite, Quite suggestive. suggestive. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love this. Now, someone was even, I, I read something that people were even talking about the beams <laughs> suggesting that it was somehow phallic. I don't see it, but possibly a, a scrotum in the wood. I don't know. Maybe that's going a little bit too far. But there very obviously are some uh, phallic images here to take a look at. Um, but art historians uh, tend to agree that this particular piece was unusual in this timepiece for several reasons. What's that? All right. One, it depicts nudity. Mm-hmm without any biblical or mythological reference and this is a time in germany where dress was um it, it was very modest well yes and scrutinized down to like the number of pearls you could have on a necklace wow so i mean you know it's not telling a biblical narrative or a mythological story and so this is weird they're naked just for the sake of being oh, they're naked. out there at that bathhouse girl all right uh and here's the other thing this piece of art itself would not have mass market appeal which was important to Durer because he very much was a self-promoter mm -hmm. we've talked about that he had to make a living absolutely and as an artist who took very few commissions mm -hmm. he very much wanted to do what he wanted to do and did. then sell it mm -hmm. so he, he was one of the first artists that made multiple prints and would like travel around and sell copies of his work mm -hmm. he made art accessible to the people mm -hmm. but this piece of art would not have the mass appeal right. that a lot of others. I mean, I know you've wanted to talk about those hands. Every Baptist granny in the South has those praying hands, That's right? True. That's what do we true. know about those praying hands? Well, the thing about the praying hands is it's probably the best known mm -hmm. image that Durer did in his lifetime. And like you said, it's everywhere. Right. Um, yes. And do do you want me to tell you about sure. the legend? There is a legend that um, him and his brother were both ready to go to school and but only one of them could afford to go at a time so um, they would um, just like flip a coin or whatever to right. decide who went Durer uh, Albrecht Durer mm -hmm. Albrecht Durer uh, won the toss and he was he went on to school um, and distinguished himself immediately and uh, when he had finished his studies he came back to the family uh, to and his brother had been working in the mines mm -hmm. to support him while he was in school and the idea was that they were going to swap and that Dura would work in the mines while his brother went to school mm -hmm. and because uh, his brother was also an artist and but then he his hands were so destroyed from uh, years of working uh, hard manual labor that he really was not able to um, produce art anymore. So 
that's the legend the legend yeah i don't know yes. why you say legend because in my studies i didn't come across this mm -hmm. but i think a lot of times art takes on this like larger than life sure it does you yeah. know folklore type thing mm -hmm. but when i was telling my friends that i wanted to speak about jewelry they're like oh who's that and i'm like yes you do now you know the praying hands Everybody knows. I, right. Yeah. It's in your grandma's kitchen. And we are in the South. We so are in we the have, South. We all have those praying hands. Yeah. Um, so, again, let's go back to the men in the bathhouse. It doesn't have public appeal. It depicts nudity in a time that wasn't con it wasn't considered acceptable. And there are some very obvious homoerotic depictions in the work. Okay. So, um, some things I want to point out are, are this. And this is from the research that I've done. Um, is... The, the two men in the foreground of the woodcut are supposedly the Palmgarther brothers from the ruling class of Nuremberg. And one of them was perhaps a lover with Dürer. Okay. Perhaps. Okay. okay. Maybe. Yeah. And then the gentleman in the back, who is a rather large man, is, is drinking, uh, slugging some beer from a beer stein. He's thought to be Willibald Herkheimer who was a friend of Dewar, one that really encouraged Dewar to like date his artwork and write letters so that there was like this historical primary mm -hmm. document record. It's interesting. And um, Dewar and Perkheimer both were known for their sexual prowess. And they were possibly lovers. Hmm. But I gotta be honest, like I just don't see Perkheimer as his type. Mm -hmm. I, I don't see that. Well, you know, maybe it was I the brain. Maybe the brain. Ooh, yeah. the brains maybe, again. Yeah. So, Janie, what if I told you that according to the Royal Trust Collection, the there there are five figures in the image, and I'm gonna pull it right back up. There are five figures in the image that are thought to represent the five senses. So I'm gonna pull that up so that we can take a look at it. And tell me what you see that would appeal to the five senses in this piece of work. Well, first, um, that must be a cultural thing at the time mm -hmm. for something everyone knew about mm -hmm. that they're referencing. So I don't look at that and see five senses. I didn't either. No, but at the all. Royal Trust says it's there. Yeah, I'm sure so it is. I'm sure see. it is. What do you say? Well, I don't know. This person is to, has his hand over his uh, ear, so maybe mm. this one's about hearing. Maybe. Are there are there any other images that you see that might also appeal to the sense of hearing? Well, he's playing a musical instrument, and this person is too. Right. So we got. And two there's of a taste. Taste. We're drinking the beer. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. That's right. And they've all gaze. I know is important. Mm -hmm. And um, and you know this. Hmm. There's. You can see everyone's eyes are all oh, looking at different it's intense. things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell me mm -hmm. more. Okay. Well, okay. So we've, we've got the, this, the sound, the, the sense of seeing, they're all very gazing and uh, so touch is right here. See the, oh, I forget what this object is called. I was using the Roman bathhouses as well. Like Stiglitz or Stiglitz. I can't remember the name of it. I'm saying Stiglitz from Georgia. But mm -hmm. it was the thing where they scraped the oh. oils off of the oh. skin. Okay. Like what this little instrument's called. But it, it's in the hand in one of the figures in the forefront. Mm -hmm. And it was used in the bathhouse to like scrape on that. In the Roman times, when the gladiators would fight and then they were oiled down with essential oils, they would scrape off the sweat and the oils and bottle it as a perfume. Oh my. I mean, that was sexy to them. I'm sure. I mean, what do you think musky is, girl? I know. Oof, musky. Mm. But anyway, that's the, <laughs> this is supposedly, which the entire image is really touch. Bathhouse mm -hmm. is touch. Mm -hmm. Right. And then sense of smell. I challenge you. Okay. This is like, where's Waldo? I know, right? Yeah. Let's see, he's got a flower in <gasps> his hand. That's right. So there's a flower there. And what we know is that... Um, supposedly all of those images in some way appeal to the senses okay okay if you say so well <laughs> i don't say so the royal trust say so okay if they um, say so now uh again why this bathhouse image if it doesn't have a lot of popular appeal are you ready yeah my research shows that there's very much the possibility that this piece is one of the earliest forms of homosexual pornography um that would have been sold kind of like in the underground and it would not have been openly displayed for sale like many of his prints were at like these like open markets mm -hmm. like when i think in new orleans i think jackson square and these open markets it was it was a lot like that or mm -hmm. like when like in prague there's the bridge where you know they have all the art displayed that you can buy publicly 
And um, so anyway, this would have appealed to a different group of people mm -hmm. and possibly not sold publicly. Really? Yeah. So um, the next thing I want to discuss is um, syphilis. So syphilis, mm -hmm. you were going to tell me a little about syphilis in this time period and what was going on in Nuremberg. I was. Well, you were. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it was a public health concern mm -hmm. and there were lots of people contracting this and there were long-term health effects. So the public health you know, people, whoever was in charge of that, had approached um, Durer you know, because he's the best artist around, obviously, they approached him about creating pamphlets for um, to educate the public mass for mass production. Mm -hmm. So um, it's interesting that he did the bathhouse pictures and also pamphlets about um, syphilis. Mm -hmm. So what in my research, what I learned was this in the same year that Durer um, created these woodcuts and the prints from the woodcuts themselves, the Nuremberg bathhouses were shut down mm -hmm. in an effort to curb the syphilis outbreaks. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's kind of like a throwback to another time, like, oh, no more bathhouse, but mm -hmm. yeah. here's this postcard. Wish yeah. you were here. Wish you were here. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Join me later. <laughs> Uh, so enough syphilis for tonight. Yes. Ugh, Thank too you. much too much STDs. Yes. Okay. I want to transition to a lesser known piece. Okay. Um it's titled Avarice and dated 1507. Will you talk to us just a bit about the medium and also what does the title mean? Well, it was an oil painting. We've already talked a little bit about oil and how that uh, takes uh, time and planning to create. But it was something that most artists at the time mm -hmm. uh, were proficient in. Um, but avarice is greed on steroids, if mm -hmm. you will. It's greed, 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 never having enough. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it's interesting that you... Uh, that's called avarice because I look at that and I'm like, I don't quite see it. Right. So tell me that's more. That's why I love this. So this, uh -huh. I like this painting for a great many reasons. I, I first like the symbolism of the art itself. Mm -hmm. There's this image of the old woman, which represents like fading beauty um, in life in contrast with that of earthly riches. She's holding this, this bag of gold. You've got the mortal and the immortal. I also like the allegory that's presented here. Mm -hmm. The transience of life in conjunction with what is actual the worthlessness of riches yeah okay can't so take it with you no can't take it with you and beauty fades that's right that's right um so uh, but money does not money does not <laughs> give me a bag of gold so i want to look at this together and talk about what many uh historians refer to as the grotesqueness of this image just kind of walk us through what this looks like well, it's an older woman mm. and with long hair. Her hair's just kind of a little bit stringy, a lot of gray in there. And um, her, her wrap, her dress, if you will, covers one breast, but mm. not the other. So mm -hmm. she's fully exposed mm -hmm. on one side. Um, and it looks like her teeth are, you know, maybe she's missing a few and she's wrinkly. Um, so she definitely looks like she's lived the better part of her life at that point. I think what also strikes me the most about this is the, the level of skill that I oh, see yeah. in this image. It is so lifelike. Mm -hmm. Um, when I look at the, the flesh around the, the breast, you, I mean, it truly looks like an aging, sagging sure. piece of Complete with stretch marks. Right. Really and I think it's detailed. <laughs> I think it's really good. Yeah. Um, you can see the the veins and you can even tell the, the aging of the skin on her mm -hmm. arm. Yes. So it looks thin, you can see the um you can see almost mm -hmm. the skin looks almost translucent. Mm -hmm. You can see the veins right mm -hmm. beneath the skin, you're mm -hmm. right. There's that transparency there. The the detail of the, the clavicle. Mm -hmm. And then also another thing that I learned was that 
um, the painters of the Northern Renaissance painted um, more images of um, cloth and material that was more like flowing or gathered or draped. Whereas in the Southern Renaissance, not as much like drapery looks. It was like um, they had a different style of dress. And you and I have mm -hmm. talked about this before because obviously, geographically speaking, in the mm -hmm. North, it would have been colder. So they're going to mm -hmm. wear heavy materials that would have draped very differently mm -hmm. versus light materials, maybe like linen that would mm -hmm. have hung very differently in Southern Europe. So mm -hmm. that's just fascinating. But I just, I just love this piece because it's just... I don't know. I love the well, imagery. There is a theory mm -hmm. uh, that Durer based this painting on the painting a contemporary did. Um, it's called Cool Temp, mm -hmm. and, which means with age. And basically, he was trying to kind of say, my work's just as good as this guy's. Oh. So I think it may have been a kind of a one-up. Mm. Um, another theory that I read about is that... Um, he was asked to do a commission, <laughs> but then not paid. So he went back and altered the image. Ouch. I know, right? Oh my God. Don't you dare commission a painting and not pay for it. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so this is like the Renaissance version of Photoshop. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Okay. So the, the last piece of art that I want to look at today with our with our listeners and with you my friend is titled simply stag beetle mm -hmm. and it's dated 1505 now you know that I cannot pronounce this so I'm going to need you to be a deer I want you to explain the medium of this piece of art for us okay this is um done in gouache ganache no not ganache okay not squash, uh -huh. but gouache. Okay, gouache. Gouache. Gouache is uh, most similar to watercolor, except watercolor tends to be translucent, mm -hmm. where you can see the colors beneath it or the paper beneath it. Mm -hmm. And gouache is um, not translucent. It is um, opaque, okay. where you cannot see through it. Okay. So, um, and, but it's still held together with the same gum arabic that watercolor is so it's what very is gum arabic it's just you know how well uh, when you have a pigment like mm -hmm. round up whatever you're making your pigment mm -hmm. your paint out of and you have to mix it with something to make it into paint so no, i've never done that yeah and gum arabic is what you mix with it to make it into watercolor paint well, that's so exotic isn't it interesting? it's very exotic so this is the same thing only this is translucent okay. and you can layer on it and do highlights and it's not ganache it's not ganache it's gouache gouache gouache, gouache. wow mm -hmm. uh again we see the we see the monogram yes with the a and the d it's copyrighted yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> and the 1505 now you might ask yourself why would I pick this image out of all? I was wondering. Okay. Um, I didn't pick it because it's a stag beetle. I, I picked it because, um, well, it really, to me, shows, again, the, the vast um, just skill of Durer, not only as just an artist, but a scientist. Mm -hmm. And so he was an observer of nature. And for him, um, what a lot would see, or many would see as like a mundane was a curiosity for mm -hmm. him. And he's actually known one of his most beautiful works is a patch of weeds. It's called <laughs> the Great Turf. And several years ago, there was um, an international soccer tournament held in Germany. And um, this, the Great Turf obviously was used, you know, it's kind of like a, a play on words, but mm -hmm. also it's like, you know, international symbol of, you know, German pride. And mm -hmm. the Great Turf, they even packaged seeds and gave them out as souvenirs with the piece of art on the package of seeds to grow these weeds. Oh my goodness. I know. So the great turf. Now there's a, a quote again that I, I heard on the BBC's Northern Renaissance documentary and explains this perfectly. Sketching from nature, artists acquired knowledge and to be beautiful, 
art also required knowledge. So Durer was constantly researching the, the secret of beauty. He thought it, it, it was somehow mathematical. Mm-hmm. Reminds me a lot of da Vinci mm-hmm. and yes. his mathematical prowess. Like, you know, the same way, like Durer's looking for the same, like there has to be a formula here. Mm-hmm. And he worked on it and he ultimately just admitted like the secret to beauty was elusive mm-hmm. for him. Wow, that's a lot from somebody at 13. (laughs) Right? Ego. Uh, So, Mm -hmm. while a lot of other artists had painted and and drawn and animals and plants before him, Dura was the first that we know of that would sign and date a piece of work like this as a finished piece of art. He wasn't just doing it for, like, the sake of practicing the skill or working with ganache. Gouache. Oh, gouache. Okay. So, no, he was saying, this is a piece of art. I put my name on it. I put the year on it. This is art. And it's a bug. And it's a bug. (laughs) Which is lonely. It's lonely. And so, Stag Beetle is a wonderful example of the earliest European work to picture a beetle as an identifiable species. Um, now, of course, the Egyptians loved a good beetle. Oh, yeah. Scarab. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah. I love a good dung beetle. I don't know about you. No. Hard workers. Um, but uh, we don't know if he completed the work from, like, sheer memory or if maybe he had a sample in his studio. But we, what we do know is this, that Dewar gave significance to a subject that his contemporaries would have viewed as the lowest of all creatures. That's very interesting. I know. Also love it. Um, if you look at the piece of art, it's like the the beetle itself is gesticulated. Like it's not all connected. It's kind of floating in pieces. It's just really interesting. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, it is, unfortunately, that time. What time? Time to go. Mm. <laughs> We'd like to thank all of you for joining us today in our exploration of beetles, boobs, bathhouses, and beauty. We do hope that you'll join us again uh, as we explore another artist's work and the culture and geography that informed it on Art of Place. If you've liked what you've heard, feel free to contact us via Instagram or Twitter at Art of Place Podcast or email us at Art of Place Podcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to our friend Scott Myatt for his original music. You can hear more of his work at scottmyatt.com. And thank you to Joy Mago for his technical assistance. Till next time, nerds!